Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Trust you are well. It's good to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. To be together, to be here present, to be together online, to be in fellowship, together and around the Word of God. And I trust that this morning again, the Word of God will minister to our hearts, encourage us, keep us going for the Lord. Amen. We are living in days of many challenges. And it is good to know that some things in this universe never change. They are solid. They are stable. We can count on them. Amen? And the word of the Lord is one of those things. The Bible says His word is established forever. Amen? And we know that Jesus made it very clear, and it's in the Bible, this world shall pass away. Everything in this life shall pass away, but the word of the Lord shall remain. And because of our faith in Him, we shall remain with Him as well. Amen? And that is wonderful to be together. We are praying for so many of you with so many different needs, going through different situations. But know that we are together. Amen? In prayer, in faith, and trusting God for victories, for breakthrough, for comfort where comfort is needed, for strength where strength is needed. So um, let's continue together. Let's continue praying for one another, and being faithful to the Lord. Amen. Welcome back to Upside Down, our three-part series where we are um, discussing that accusation which was done towards the first century Christians. They were accused of turning the world upside down. Today is part two called Impact. Okay, Impact is our a topic today. Our text comes from Acts chapter 17, and uh, as I uh, encouraged you last week, read Acts chapter 17. Read 16, 17, 18, also the book of Thessalonians, especially the first Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2, gives a lot of background into this journey which uh, Paul did, and going through Asia Minor, Greece, and so forth, bringing the gospel, keeping in mind that first century, this is a new thing. You know, we, you and I, we are used, at least we've heard, you know, and as we, we talk about Christianity to other people, they've heard it. But your people in this world still today who do not know about Jesus, who have not heard about Christianity. They've been isolated from the world, from media, and they do not know, to a large extent, what Christianity is. Now, these guys were penetrating New ground and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many believe. They came to this city called Thessalonica in Greece. And over there again, as Paul and Silas ministered, people believed in Jesus. The Bible says that some Jews were persuaded. Remember, at that time, the Jewish nation had already been scattered in many places of the world. And in Greece, there were many Jews. In Thessalonica, there was a, a good, you know, community of Jewish people. They had a synagogue over there, and they were, you know, doing their rituals and going through the word of the Lord. And a number of Greeks had become followers of God, of the God of the Bible. And so it says some Jews were persuaded to follow the gospel. A great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women in the town. They joined Paul and Silas. They joined the Christian church. And so they were kind of having a little mini revival there in Thessalonica. The word was going forth and people were responding to the gospel. And then, of course, 
Our text, the following happened, Acts chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. But the Jews who were not persuaded, the ones who had not received the word of God, becoming envious, they became jealous because some of these people are being drawn away now from the synagogue and the Jewish ways to follow this new faith, this new leader, Jesus, you know. And so they took some evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, they set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. That's where Paul was staying, Paul and Silas, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they didn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Isn't this ironic? I mean, these dudes, they become jealous. They go and get a couple of rough guys from the marketplace. They create an uproar in the city. They turn everything upside down. They break the peace and tranquility of the city, bring these Christians to the authorities and say that they are turning the world upside down. Huh? Now, I want you to be aware as we read these things of the parallels of what is happening today. In the world, in our society, and how we can be part of turning the world upside down in the right way. I mean, not upside down, but right side up, because this world is already upside down. <laughs> they don't need us to turn the world upside down. This world needs to come back on its head again, be restored. And so, in last week, in part one, we learned that the gospel was a threat to many, and it is still a threat today. 2,000 years later, the Bible and the gospel continue to be a threat to many people in this world. I share with you that no other religion is persecuted like Christians are persecuted. And we might not feel it so much because we live in a country where there is religious freedom. And we can gather like this. Last Sunday morning, I shared with you, I received a little clip about latest news on persecution. It came from the uh, CEO of Open Doors in the United States. Open Doors, they are in touch with the brothers and sisters in many persecuted countries. They take, they smuggle Bibles in there. They take literature. They take encouragement. They take physical assistance as well. And, uh, and, and so there is, there is two types of persecution. There's an oppressive persecution where believers, if they found out, find out you're a believer, you are not allowed to do certain types of work. You're not allowed to stay in certain areas. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, uh, you're separated from society, basically. You're treated as non-existent. Families will cut you off. And so that is the oppressive persecution. Your life may not be in danger, but you cannot take part in everyday life. And so these Christians, they kind of go underground, they kind of help each other, and uh, they live a, a very terrible existence. But then there is the violent oppression, and that is where believers are physically attacked. You die for your faith if they find out that you are a Christian. Last year, 2021, that we know of. These are numbers which they were able to follow up and check on. 
5,898 Christians were killed simply because they believe in Jesus Christ. Of those, 4,650 were in Nigeria alone. Nigeria. Nigeria has become the country that kills the most Christians today. More than all the other nations in the world put together in terms of persecuting Christians, Nigeria today is the one that destroys Christians the most. Afghanistan today is number one nation in terms of persecuting Christians. Especially since they took over the country now, they're going after. They've, 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 they've managed to get hold of lists with names of Christians and they're going, looking for those addresses. Christians are having to live underground, hidden in Afghanistan. That's followed by North Korea. North Korea was always on top. This year, Afghanistan is on top of the list. Folks, this is a reality. And we need to realize the privilege we have. This morning's opening, what Dio said, you know, I rejoice and I said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Some people don't have that privilege. They have to hide in a cave somewhere, small groups, two, threes. And they can't go and sing, I'll sing a hallelujah. They can't say hallelujah. They go, hallelujah. Just in case somebody's waiting outside, spying, listening. Guys, let's enjoy our freedom while we can. Why, Pastor, do you think you're going to lose our freedom? Hey, I'm just saying enjoy it. Make use of it. Because things can turn around just like that. In North Korea, the number one persecuted nation in the world, once upon a time, Christians lived freely over there. But overnight, new regime came in and Christians were out. Why is Christianity such a threat? Why is it the most persecuted religion in the world? And you learn that the gospel is a threat to many people because the gospel is divisive by nature. Jesus made claims that drew a line in the sand. Jesus did not compromise. Still does not compromise today. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, hey guys, I am one of many ways. If you'd like to follow me, I'll show you a great path. But if you don't want to follow me, it's fine. Choose another path. He didn't say that. He says, guys, I am the way, not one of the many ways. He said, I am the truth, not one of many truths. Young people today, you are being challenged with this idea of your truth and my truth. That's from the pits. It's a lie from hell. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is the truth, the word of God, full stop, finished. Jesus said, I am the truth. You see, this is divisive talk. This is not politically correct. This is not inclusive. <laughs> this is not tolerant. All those fancy modern words. The gospel does not accommodate that. And you and I have to make a choice. And that's why I said, you better enjoy this freedom while you have it. Because even in South Africa, there are laws trying to be pushed through parliament which could hinder our freedom of speech, of expression. So, 
Let's worship the Lord and let's understand who we are, what the gospel is, and what we need to do. Amen? Hallelujah. But you see, nowhere Jesus taught his followers to persecute those who don't follow him. <clears throat> we are called to teach, to preach, to make an invitation. And people are given an opportunity to respond. What happens to those who do not respond positively? What happens, you know, you go out there, you tell your story, you, you, you talk about the word of God, you, you give a testimony of Jesus day in your life, and the guys just say, ah, man, it's okay. You've got your faith, I've got mine. You've got your truth, I've got mine. You've got your God, I've got mine. What do you do? What do we do as Christians? We still love them. We continue to pray for them. We try to find other opportunities to convince them of the truth of the word of God. But we do not persecute them. We do not kill them. We do not force. We don't pull the gun out. Okay, I gave you the easy way out. Now, will you accept Jesus or must I do something to you? We don't do that. Jesus never taught his followers to force others to follow him. Hello? Now, it is true, sad truth, that throughout the 2000 history of, this, of the church, of Jesus, there have been very dark moments in our history where people, Christians, in the name of God, have done very stupid things, have persecuted unbelievers, have tried to force Christianity into people's throats. It was never supposed to happen. That is not in the Bible. It is not the Jesus way. And today, you and I, we must live by the truth of the Word of God. We must speak, spread, try to share the gospel of Jesus to others. Try to remove obstacles so that people can come closer to Jesus. But we are not to hurt them because they don't want to follow Christ. But unfortunately, believers, unbelievers in those days had this idea. That uh, if somebody followed a religion which was not theirs, they had to be persecuted. And so when these, these Jewish people and these Greeks, they left the, the ways of the synagogue. When people came out of pagan religions back in the day, all those priests and all those religious folks began to persecute them. And that's what happened here in, in Thessalonica. And it's what's been happening Ever since. It's what is still happening today in many quarters. Why? Because it was a threat. Amen? They were not a threat to harm people. The apostles, they were following the example of Jesus. Who was also perceived to be a threat by the Jews. You know, Jesus cared about people. He challenged religion and he was committed to his mission. And, and the apostles were doing the same thing. But they were teaching people to live peaceful lives. They were teaching people to obey the laws of the, the nation, to honor the leaders and so on. But they were still being persecuted. And you see, we learned last week that if we are to turn the world upside down, we have to follow the example of Jesus. And when we do, some people will love us, <laughs> but some people are going to hate us. Some people are going to accept your words and accept your way of thinking and of doing things. But some people are going to get real ticked off with you. They're going to be still threatened by you. Hmm? So the one reason why they were accused of turning the world upside down 
is because they were a threat. But there was another reason that attracted the accusation <clears throat> that the believers were turning the world upside down, and that is impact. It's the subject of today's message. The apostles and the early church, they were having an impact in their city, in their society. The people of Thessalonica, where we are looking at, this was happening. They were talking about Paul and Silas. They were talking about this new faith. Look, I'm sure there was, there, were, there was other things going on in the city. There were other news. There was a lot going on in Thessalonica. You know, people coming, going, merchants, and so on. The battles and the Roman Empire, a lot of news going on. But at that moment, the biggest news in Thessalonica, what everybody was talking about is Paul, Silas, and this new faith. That's all they could talk about. Why? Because they were having an impact in that city. Now, the word impact can have one of two meanings. It is the action of one object coming forcibly into contact with another. All right? In other words, a collision. All right? A crash. And that is not the definition that we are using right now. But the second is to make a marked effect, to have a marked effect or influence, in other words, to make an impression. When you have an impact in somebody's life, you are making an impression. You are making an impression. All right? You are making an impression. Impact. And that's the definition we're going to go with over here. So as Paul and Silas preached, in Thessalonica, they had an impact on people. In other words, they influenced and they made an impression. Now, to impact someone or something can be both positive and it can be negative. I can have a positive impact or I can have a negative impact. Or something that I say, you can receive it in a positive way or in a negative way. Okay? So, it can go both ways. <laughs> and our text reveals that. Some Jews who were jealous of what was happening caused the turmoil and blamed Paul and Silas. So, the words and the message of the gospel had a negative impact on these guys. Now, it was a lie, of course, but since these Jews had stirred up the crowds, those in power listened to them so as to restore what? Order in the city. Now, Paul and Silas, they, they could have caused a riots. They could have made an impact by coming to town and causing a riot. Start accusing people. Go and pick it in front of all the temples of all the idols, all right? They, they, they could start, you know, uh, accusing the criminals in the city. They could do so many things that, and cause up a stir, call attention to themselves. But they did not do that. They simply came along and they preached a message. And the message had an effect on the people. Amen? So what did they do that had an impact on the people of Thessalonica. 
And to find out what happened, we have to go now to the letter to the Thessalonians. Because sometime after Paul had been in Thessalonica, he established a church over there, Lay, sometime later he wrote, in fact, two letters to the people in uh, Thessalonica. It's in your New Testament, first and second, Thessalonians are the two letters that Paul wrote back to the church there. And we're going to read today in, in the first book of Thessalonians, chapter 2. From this passage, we can see what drove Paul's impact in Thessalonica. And it wasn't writing and fighting. Actually, it was love. Love for God and love for the people. That's what drove him. That's what took him there in the first place. Now, of course, that was the driving force in the life of Jesus. And it should be the driving force in our lives, in the lives of those who follow him. But from Paul's letter, we learn how he approached the Thessalonians to have an impact over there. And it will be good for us to observe these things and maybe learn from him so that maybe we can have a better influence on people around us as followers of Christ. We're going to look at three things that Paul did, something that he had that we can also have and make an influence. Number one, a gentle spirit. Paul had a gentle spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 7 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. He says, But we were gentle among you. We were like a mother caring for her little children. <laughs> it's a picture of gentleness for you. It, it's a beautiful image. But let's, let's face it. When you hear Paul speaking like this, you say, kind of, What? Paul? Come on, we know Paul, guys. You know? There was that rough guy that was persecuting Christians. He was on a mission to kill Christians when he fell off his horse. <laughs> Remember? He had an encounter with Jesus. And he turned his life around. And the persecutor became the proclaimer who became the persecuted. But he was just as zealous after conversion, as he was before conversion. Before conversion, he wanted to kill every Christian. After conversion, he wanted to turn the whole world into Christians. <laughs> and he was, man, you know, so I don't know about you, but the word gentle doesn't seem to fit the apostle. Call him strong, yeah. Call him determined, yeah. <laughs> you know, call him zealous, yes. Call him impassioned, but gentle. And yet, here it is. Here it is. A mother caring for her children. This speaks about giving of yourself and from yourself for the benefit of others. It speaks of the spirit in which you do your work. And gentleness is not a quality often respected today, much less so in the first century. All right? Uh, 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 people were used to authority, you know, and power. That was the order of the day. And still today, people tend to value tough, strong, assertive leaders. And yet, none of us likes to be bullied, to be bulldozed over, <laughs> you know? 
We would rather be loved. And so somehow Paul managed to be gentle. That was Paul's approach. He was zealous, determined, and assertive, and yet he was gentle with them. You see, Paul had added to his faith, remember the message of a couple of weeks back, the checklist, to his faith, he had added self-control and brotherly love. Amen? And so he was able to bring all that fire in him under control and be gentle with the people as he approached them. You see? Without pushing them away. You see, because you and I, <laughs> we can be totally right and be totally wrong at the same time. You know, in trying to help somebody, you can be totally right in what you are saying, but totally wrong in how you are saying it. Huh? You can say the truth. You can be accurate. But your attitude is so lousy that nobody listens to what you say. Amen? Even as Christians. And, and sometimes as believers, we can be so judgmental of the world and of sinners. Now, now listen, guys, I understand. As, as, as followers of Christ, we know that there is a path. This world has a linear history. We come from somewhere, and we're going to land up somewhere. Jesus is going to come. There is going to be a judgment. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a destiny for everybody. And when we look around, and we see the world making stupid decisions, destroying themselves, and yet they know the truth. Because let's face it, in the Western world, Everybody has heard a little bit at least about Jesus. A little bit at least about the Bible. And it is so amazing when you hear the sinners, as they're doing bad stuff, they often quote scripture. <laughs> when sinners look at you as a Christian and you slip up and you say something wrong, you say a bad word, you have a bad attitude, they quickly remind you, hey, but you're a Jesus follower, aren't you? Well, why are you talking like that, man? How do they know? Because they know. And so we as Christians, when we see the world doing these things, sometimes we lose it. And we become judgmental, become hard, we become harsh. And in that state of mind, you can speak out to people and you speak out the truth. You sinners, you better turn or you're going to burn. You better do it. <laughs> you, you, you speak the truth. But your attitude is so angry, so judgmental. It gets nowhere. It misses the target completely. Huh? And so you can be absolutely right while being totally wrong. You could win a debate but lose the person. Hmm? And so Paul makes it very clear that one of the reasons he had an impact in that city is because of his gentle spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue that as well. No matter how zealous we are, no matter how impassioned we are, 
No matter how much sin we see around us and people making stupid decisions, choosing death over a life, guys, let's trust the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and help us to be gentle as we deal with people, as we try to bring the message across. Amen? Something else that Paul had. He had a sacrificial heart. A sacrificial heart. And this we find in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Thessalonians. A sacrificial heart. Something that we need today as well. We live in a world that offers us so many ways to be comfortable. To stay in our zone of comfort. To please all our fleshly desires. That the word sacrifice doesn't kind of fit into our vocabulary. I don't want sacrifice. I want comfort. I want pampering. <laughs> Let's see what Paul says in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. We loved you so much. There's the love again. That we were happy to share with you God's good news, which is the gospel. We were also happy... <laughs> To share our lives. Now, we're okay. Let's, let's share the gospel. That's fine. But this next one, he says, we were happy not only to share the message with you, but to share our lives with you. You had become very special to us. Brothers and sisters, I am sure you remember how hard we worked. We labored night and day while we preached to you God's good news. We didn't want to cause you any expense. So he, he, he wants to make it as easy as possible for them to receive the good news. So he just doesn't preach to them. He is sacrificing his own life, spending time with them, doing whatever he can to be there for them. He shared the gospel with the Thessalonians. That we know. But he says he was delighted to give them more than that. He gave them his own life. Now you see, ministry that makes an impact may cost what you have. Oh, Pastor, I wish I told me that before I made my commitment. <laughs> yeah. You see, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you sign up to be a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus is one that makes disciples. You know, we do things in our lives that help other people to become disciples. You know, being part of a church community, being involved, giving and so on, you are contributing to help the gospel to go out and, and touch people's lives. Maybe people that you don't know, that you cannot reach, but through the church or the ministry, it can be reached. But you can do things which the church cannot do. In your place of work, where you do your gym, where you go to school, and so on, you, you can bring the word over there to people as well. So we are in this together, all of us, trying to facilitate others coming to Jesus. It costs, it may cost something that you have. Huh? <laughs> You've got to lay down your life. You've got to give something that you're never going to get back. 
your own life. Let me explain. I'm not, gonna, not saying that you have, you have to go and die now because you follow Jesus. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this. You have to lay down your life for others. Let me explain. For example, instead of relaxing or going to the movies with friends, instead of playing video games, you choose, you choose to visit a friend in need. You choose to go and talk to someone who is in doubt about the gospel and explain to them the way, how it works. Huh? You choose to call or message somebody to give them a word of encouragement or to pray for them. You see, you're taking time. You're taking me time. Time you could be doing something for yourself, for your own pleasure, for your own relaxation, for your own comfort, for your own benefit. You're taking that time and you are investing in helping somebody else. You are laying down your life because time is life. Remember what the Bible says? There is a time to be born and a time to die. Your life on this earth is time. It's measured in time. You only got so much time. You can't stretch it. <laughs> you can't live forever. But while you are here, you can do something with your time. What Paul did and what we are invited to do is to take some of this time and lay it down for the good of others. It's called sacrificial living. And nobody wants to talk about it these days. You want to talk about all the stuff that's exciting, that adds pleasure, you know, that adds to your comfort, that adds value to your life. Well, listen, laying down your life doesn't add any value to this life. But it adds major value to your eternity. It adds major value to somebody else's life. When you lay down your life, that person gets value out of it. It's what happened over here. Paul laid down his life. The Thessalonians got added value because of what he laid down. Huh? Oh, let's look at one more thing. Number three. An urgent appeal. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Oh, Paul was a very versatile guy. He could be like a mother, or he could be like a father. All right? So he says, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to love lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is another mark. Of those who turn the world upside down, they make an urgent appeal for the gospel. You see, on one side, Paul was like a mother, tender and gentle. And I'm sure that's how he made his entry, tender and gentle, to, to make sure that people listen to him, that he doesn't push people away. But then as they 
started catching on the message, understanding the message, as they begin to see Paul laying down his life for them, spending time with them, make it easy for them to understand the gospel. This other side kicks in. There is an urgency. Don't ignore my message. Don't ignore the message of God. This is not another religion. This is the way, people. Follow Jesus. Live holy lives. Turn your back on sin. Please, guys, get right with God and stay right with God. Don't let all these other people pull you away. Don't let all these rights and these accusations tear you away. Stay with Jesus. Live holy lives. Huh? <laughs> Experts note interesting differences between mothers and fathers. They say that mothers tend to worry about their children's safety and security, whereas fathers tend to focus on their children's success. A mother frets over things like tender loving care while fathers push their children hard because they know we live in a world where failure is easy and success is difficult. And you know what? Both are necessary. Both are absolutely necessary in raising children and in serving the Lord. <laughs> and it seems that Paul applied both. With a gentle spirit, he presented the gospel. But also with urgency, he encouraged them to stay faith, faithful and firm. Amen? Paul knew the power of the gospel. And that is what he declared in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul declares boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. There, is the, there it is again. Not a power of God, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's for everyone. Yes, Jesus came from the Jews to the Jews. That was his first field of mission. But the gospel is for everybody. Hmm? And Paul had that conviction. Yet he, he had that conviction in his heart and he conveyed us with his urgency. Come on, guys, let's follow the Lord. And as we tell people our stories, as we share the gospel with them, we also need this sense of urgency. Paul says later in the letter that the Thessalonians became his imitators, which means they also developed these qualities. And they continued to have an impact in other people's lives. If we are to make an impact in our world, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen these marks in our lives. We have to allow God's love for people to fill our hearts. Amen? We have, that's where it begins. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes to see people's lives changed, even if it requires a sacrifice from our part sometimes. We will not change our world without passion. And I'm not preaching this to get us to start changing the world. No, the world is in the process of being changed. It has been in this process for the last 2,000 years. It's already happening. 
all over the world, believers are making an impact. And yet, there is still many more people to be reached. Yet, there are people who have known the Lord and drifted away from the Lord. There are people who had never surrendered their lives to the Lord. So we still have a mission field around us. I'm preaching this to encourage every one of us, wherever we are, to become more intentional and aware of changing our world. Every believer is needed. But we live in this society which tends to push us and to mold us into being just the same. Everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody doing the same thing. Everybody wearing the same thing. Everybody doing like what everybody else does. And if you dare to be different, they kind of slap you back on again or you get canceled. Let's become aware, people. And the point of this message, of this series, is to help us become aware that there are people around us who need their world turned upside down, right side up, whatever you want to do. But we are God's instruments. It first starts by allowing the gospel to turn our world right side up and then becoming God's instruments to touch other lives around us. Amen? I know that we as a church, this church, is having an impact. We are testimony to, to that. Many of you are connected to this church because somehow it had an impact in your life. God used the ministry of this church or somebody in this church to touch your life. And it is my desire that this church will continue to have an impact in people's lives. Hmm? Together, all of us, whether in person, those of you who are a bit far away, you can't be in meetings there because you know the city or another country. But together, in the same spirit, we can do this work. Because this work must be done all over the world by all believers. So I would like us as a people, as a church, to become aware of this so that we can have intentional impact in people's lives. Amen? Hallelujah. Together as a church, both in our services and as individuals in our daily lives, let us live in such a way that will make an impact in, in people's lives. Let's keep in mind, gentle spirit. Hmm? Sacrificial heart. Urgent appeal. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. These three elements will kick in in different seasons, different situations, depending on who you're talking with. Some people will need primarily a gentle spirit. Some situations will need primarily a sacrificial heart. Some situations will need primarily... An urgent appeal. Let's be listening. Don't try and put the gospel in a box, into a formula. Allow the Holy Spirit. Have your heart ready. And allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in each and every situation so that we may have an impact in our world. Amen? Remember, you may not change the world, but you 
could have an impact in somebody's world and change their world forever. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Come, let's stand. Let us close in prayer. Let us pray about this as well. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, whether in person or online, you've, you've heard this message, and I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is speaking with you, highlighting perhaps certain areas, certain situations, maybe even certain people that you can apply this message to. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and give you, giving you insights in how to deal with certain situations. Maybe right now the Holy Spirit is Dealing with you to adjust your heart, fine-tune your heart. Maybe to become more gentle. Maybe you need to apologize to someone with whom you were too harsh. And you landed up offending and pushing them away instead of drawing them closer to Jesus. Maybe the Holy Spirit is dealing with some of you concerning a sacrificial heart. You're too set in your ways, too set in your comfort to do what you know you should be doing. Whether it is talking to people, whether it is worshiping more, whether it is attending church because you know you can, but you're allowing the flesh to keep you back. You see, everything we do is a testimony. Being together here, we are encouraging one another. And so I don't know what God is talking to you. Maybe that person you need to give a call. Maybe that message you need to send. Maybe that colleague at work. But you know it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It might cost you your reputation. Sacrificial heart. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. And maybe some of you have been too afraid to push boundaries. You don't want to offend you want to be inclusive. You want to be correct. And you're afraid that if you make an appeal to someone to surrender to Jesus, you'll be insulting them. You'll be offending them. The Holy Spirit reminds you. And it is better to listen to God than to men. Do not offend the Holy Spirit by resisting the Holy Spirit. Take that risk. And if that is in your heart, that person is in your heart, go and make that plea. Do it gently. Do it sacrificially. But do not resist the leading of the Holy Spirit to make an urgent call for that person to surrender to Jesus as soon as they can. Be available to clear up any misconceptions. But folks, we need to allow the Lord to use us to make an urgent call. The gospel is not a casual thing. The Word of God is ju not just another one of many options. It is the power of God unto salvation of all. And so, Father, I pray for your people today, Lord.
Give us the boldness that we need, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that we need, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be a people of impact for your glory, Lord. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, enabling us, empowering us to have an impact in our society for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't miss next week, our part three, final part of the series. Have a wonderful Sunday, a blessed week, and see you next Sunday. God bless you. Amen.